Scripture reading this morning will be from Psalm chapter 119, verses 9 through 11. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. How can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? With my whole heart I have sought you. O let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Invite you to be taking out your Bibles and be turning to the book of Psalms and Psalm 119 is where we will be studying this morning. Psalm 119 certainly is a blessing and privilege to be together this Lord's Day. We are grateful for opportunities such as this to be together with our brothers and sisters in Christ to be able to strengthen and encourage and admonish one another through our songs and through prayer and through study from God's Word. It is always a blessing to be with you, and I hope that we are encouraged as a result of our time together. The Bible, it poses a question for us in Psalm 119 and in verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? The song that we began with this morning, How Shall the Young Secure Their Hearts? It's an important question that we need to think about and contemplate. And as you may look at the title of the sermon and the study, and you may think this is a sermon for young people, let me tell you, it's not just for young people. It's for moms and for dads. It's for grandparents. It's for me, preachers. It's for uh, Bible class teachers. It's for elders. It's for deacons. It's for everybody. It might have some specific application for those who are younger in age, but I will let you define that yourself because age is just a number, right? And so you can define if you're young or not, and you can ask yourself if these things do apply to you, and I can assure you that they do because these are biblical principles that we will be examining this morning. But the Bible poses this question, and it's an important question for young people to consider because... We are, to, told, we are told in the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 12 and verse 1, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. And we need to build upon a foundation or a blueprint, if you will, of our life for purity and for holiness and for a way in which we can keep our lives and our way pure. And we live in an ever-increasingly sinful and wicked world. Holiness and purity become a challenge for all of us, and especially our young people. Whenever they go to school, whenever they are interacting with other people, their peers in sports, whenever they are involved in clubs and social activities, wherever it is that they may go and however they may choose to spend their time and whatever activities that you allow them to participate in as parents. We have an obligation to equip our children, our young people in these areas because these are going to be some of the biggest challenges that they face, especially if they have chosen to walk with Christ and to become a disciple of His. These are going to be huge temptations that they are going to have to deal with. And we need to be able to equip them. We need to be able to help them. 
And we all need a refresher on these things because they can reveal how blind and even hardened we have become to some of these issues. Because these things will affect us all. And what I love about Psalm 119 is the picture of how we can rely upon God's Word for our purity and for our walk with the Lord. Beginning in verse 1, it begins in a very similar fashion. If you were in our adult Bible class when we were studying Psalm 1, it begins in a very similar fashion. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe His testimonies, who seek Him with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in His ways. You have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. Then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart. When I learn your righteous judgments, I shall keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly." What you can see here is that there is a way of purity, a way of blamelessness that he describes there in verse 1. That how blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk on that way, who walk in the law of the Lord. That if we're going to keep our way blameless, if we're going to keep our lives pure and holy, it begins with walking with the Lord and knowing His Word. And we have to know His law and His Word. In verse 3, He says they walk in His ways. That we cannot go after the ways that we want to. We cannot appeal to society's ways. That we have to walk in the ways that we would desire, or in the, the ways that God would desire rather. That's who we have to look to. And in verse 5, the psalmist says, Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes, that our ways have to become an expression of God's way. That is how we are to live our lives, that as we live, that we embody the law of God, that we allow others to see God through us. And then he asks this question in verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? And the answer is found immediately after. By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart. We sang about that this morning, didn't we? Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. The reason that we have to allow God's law and His words to be implanted into our heart and into our lives is so that we can avoid sin. So that we may not fall into the traps of temptation that are before us. The snares that Satan has placed there. But certainly the devil is placing traps before us. He attacks that way of blamelessness, that way of purity and holiness. 
Satan does not want us to live that holy life. He wants us to compromise. He wants us to turn from God's standards and from God's law and what God has said. And so purity has come under attack. And so we want this morning to explore a few different ways how purity has come under attack in our society and even in our lives. And perhaps even in the Lord's church. How maybe we have begun to move that needle away from God's standard. And how we are not always expressing the law of God in our lives and our actions and how we behave in our conduct. We need to consider some of these things. That's what we want to do this morning. We want to consider how purity has come under attack through immodesty and through immodest dress. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, in 2 Timothy the second chapter, or 1 Timothy rather, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, that's a typo. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and in verse 9, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and in verse 9, the Apostle Paul says, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works as if proper for women making a claim to godliness. And you might think, well, this is just speaking only to women. But I would have you go back to verse 8 when he says, Therefore I want the men in every place to, to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. The point being is that men are to live a holy life. And then if you notice in verse 9, that word likewise, that just as men are to live a holy life, women are to do the same thing. So when we're talking about immodesty, it's not just a women's issue. The standard clothing for men and women in Old and New Testament periods were practically the same. They dressed in very much the same way with what was called a garment or a tunic. And if you do a little bit of research into those garments or tunics, you have here in... The Lexham Bible Dictionary, from an excerpt from this, says that a garment is a shirt-like garment worn either over or without loincloth that hung over one or both shoulders and came down to the knees or ankles. And so we have that standard here that it's from the shoulders down to the knees or the ankles. Another one says, generally with sleeves coming down to the knees, rarely to the ankles. What you can see is that as clothing is defined here and as modesty becomes defined is that the chest was covered for both men and women. That's the standard that God has established. That the shoulder was covered for both men and women. The torso, the navel were covered for both men and women. The thigh was covered for both men and women. Virtually every part of the body above the knee was covered, except for the head. In the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 47, I think Isaiah 
pictures this rather well for us. In Isaiah chapter 47, he is speaking in a metaphor here. In Isaiah chapter 47 and in verse 2 and 3, and he's talking about the spiritual unfaithfulness and the lamenting Babylon. He says in Isaiah chapter 47 in verse 2, Take the millstones and grind meal. Remove your veils. Strip off the skirt. Uncover the leg. Cross the rivers. Your nakedness will be uncovered. Your shame also will be exposed. I will take vengeance and will not spare a man. You see there that he's saying that uncovering the leg, revealing the leg, revealing the thigh, stripping off the skirt, it is un, it's considered nakedness. You think about the hymn lines of our society and our dress. And this is, it's funny how fashion trends kind of <clears throat> cycle and recycle, isn't it? Always remember back in seeing basketball, you know, film or something from the 1960s, 1970s of guys' shorts being way up here. And I thought, man, that's really immodest and that's really inappropriate. And guess what's happening now in our current modern clothes for guys? Shorts are coming up. That hemline line is coming up. The inventor of the of the mini skirt she said that the mini skirt that she created it was for the purpose of making sex more available in the afternoon many clothes are symbolic of those girls who want to seduce a man speaks for itself doesn't it of why the hymn lines keep going up It certainly does not fit the standards of modesty that you find in Scripture. The fashion industry will try to reveal what should be concealed even in just very small ways. Just a little bit of skin, a little bit of cleavage showing here or there. And it can also be tempting, I understand, for us to consider ourselves modest as long as we have clothes on as long as something is covered. But what about clothing that re is revealing the form even though it may be concealed? It's what some people would call skin covering, not form covering. Or you might have tight jeans or tight shorts or leggings worn alone and by themselves. This ends up tricking many people into thinking that they are modest and that they are covered when they really are still exposing their bodies in a way that they shouldn't. One uh, lady, she wrote this in a, on her blog about modesty. She said, the mere covering of the skin, the flesh, that fails to cover anything of the form or contour or outline of the body is not modest. Textile industries have progressed. Man being a sinner, he is an inventor of evil things or he puts inventions to bad use. So, for example, jeans that technically cover the body but no more cover the form of the body and if they were sprayed on as paint are not modest even though they 
uh, though not a square millimeter of flesh, is actually exposed. Because they do not conceal the form of the body, even though technically they cover the actual surface. Honest men will confirm these things. And so before we put anything on, and I'm talking to men or women, before we put any kind of clothing on, we need to ask ourselves some questions. Can I stand, walk, sit, kneel down, or bend over, and still remain modest? If you can't answer that question with a yes, you probably need to find something else to wear. Am I naked according to biblical standards? The shoulder to the knee, covering the torso. Sometimes we like those shirts that might come up a little bit and expose the belly button. Does my clothing emphasize certain parts of my body that leave little to the imagination? Does my clothing indicate a lack of character? What kind of influence will my clothing have on other believers? Are my clothes too tight, loose, or low cut? We need to ask ourselves, are we modest? Are we living in the way that God would have us to live? Are we dressing in the way that conforms to the standard of holiness? Are we truly pursuing that path of holiness that is trying to express God through our life, even through our dress, and through how we would appear before others? Another area in which we can be attacked in our purity is through sinful sexual conduct. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter, the Apostle Paul says here in verse 18, in a passage in which he is condemning adultery and fornication, he says to flee sexual immorality. I can't help but think of in the book of Genesis in chapter 39 when Joseph was being tempted by Potiphar's wife. And she kept coming to him and wanting to lay with him and he fled. He ran from the situation. A very literal understanding of this idea, isn't it? When there is sexual temptation in your life, you need to run. You need to get out of the situation. Flee from that. But it's hard, isn't it? Because sex is all around us. You see it in immodesty, immodest dress. You see and you know of people who are committing sex before marriage. There's adultery, pornography, sexting. It's all around us. It's something that is easily accessible. Pornography is so 
easily accessed. You can find it on the internet. You can find it on a smartphone. We have in our pockets and we give them to our young people. Parents, if you've given your child a cell phone, you need to make certain that there are some security checks on those phones. That there are certain places that they cannot go on the internet. It may not be 100%, but it will be better than nothing. Because the Apostle Paul, he tells us in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 5 and in verse 3, But sexual immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Now these kinds of activities, there's no doubt that they are wrong or sinful because Paul says they should not even be named among you. That there shouldn't even be the breath or the thought or the idea that this would be something that God's children would be participating in. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in 1 Thessalonians in the 4th chapter, and in verse 3, the Apostle Paul says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. You know, it's amazing, I think, back because it's amazing how things have changed over the years, even just in, since I was in junior high and high school. And I'm very thankful for the, the teacher I had in, when I, in eighth grade, I had to take what was home ec, essentially. I forget what they called the class. But my home ec teacher, I don't know how she did this and was able to get away with it still, but she promoted abstinence week in eighth grade. I don't know if it took for many of my peers. I don't know if you could get away with that in a public school today. But abstain from it. Don't participate in it. Flee from it. Sexual immorality is warned about in the New Testament Scriptures at least 27 times. It is easily Not even a close contest. It is easily the most warned about sin because I think it is one of the strongest temptations that we all will face. And just as a little bit of a preview for what is coming this evening, if you have children who are thinking about dating, wanting to date, you definitely need to be back here tonight because we're going to talk some more about a little bit of this kind of thing. But it is one of the strongest temptations that we would face, sexual immorality. This world that we live in is sex-craved and it is something that we need to recognize is an attack against our holiness and our morality. 
that's not the only ways in which our holiness is under attack. We have provocative and lustful dancing that is promoted, that we encourage young people and older people alike to participate in, young adults. In the Gospel of Mark, in Mark chapter 6 and verse 22, so was when Herod had a birthday and he was giving a banquet for all of his commanders, he had Herodias' daughter come in and dance. And it said that she pleased Herod and his dinner guest, and the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you want and I will give it to you. Just the idea that this pleasure, this dance brought about such pleasure that he would say such things that whatever you want, I will get it for you. We begin to lose good sense, don't we? In the book of Romans in the 13th chapter, the Apostle Paul warns about the sin of sensuality. In Romans chapter 13, in verse 13, he says... Let us behave properly, as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. He says sensuality there, doesn't he? He warns about that. And he puts all of this there in the context of sexual behaviors that's inappropriate. Because whenever you're driven by sensuality, it leads to a lack of self-control and the fulfillment of sexual desires. In Mark chapter 6, whenever it says that Herod was pleased, one, uh, one dictionary says about that word to please it usually through service, which can be holy or shameful depending on the state of one's heart, the broad range of use of this verb can be seen by comparing its use in a sensual context, the dance of Herodias's daughter. And then there are some honorable uses in which pleasure can come. But purity is under attack. And we need to not be blinded by it. And a final way that we can consider how a purity is attacked is through the temptation to drink alcohol. Alcohol, the scriptures are very clear, it's something that ought to be avoided. In the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 23, in Proverbs chapter 23 and in verse 29, Solomon writes, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Then he supplies the answer in verse 30, Those who linger long over wine. Those who go to taste mixed wine. Then he says the 
way to avoid all of that in verse 31. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your mind will utter perverse things and you will be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea or like one who lies down on the top of a mast. They struck me, but I did not become ill. They beat me, but I did not know it. When shall I awake? I will seek another drink. It's very clear what he's describing here. And what he says, do not look on the wine when it is red. If you aren't to even look at it, then why are you to even drink it? Drunkenness is clearly condemned in the book of Romans in the 13th chapter. In Romans chapter 13 and in verse 12, the night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Do you notice that? That sounds like a prohibition there to me. Make no provision for it. One drink is going to allow for you to become drunk. Won't it? Don't even give it the opportunity. That's what wisdom would require of us. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 3. When Peter writes, For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. He says, avoid these things. Then he says in verse 4, In all this they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation and they malign you. Have you ever been at work and you've ever talked to someone or have you ever been at school talking with your buddies that may have started drinking and have had a party over the weekend or people at work or that you're, you're talking to about what they did and then subject of alcohol comes up and they talk about their drinking and then they ask you if you drink or anything, something like that. And you say no. And their eyes get big. Have you ever seen that? <laughs> their eyes get as big as saucers and they're like, why do you not drink alcohol? <laughs> they're surprised by that, aren't they? I tell you what Peter tells you. Let them be surprised. Surprise your friends. Surprise your co-workers. Surprise people and avoid it. Now what may come from that is because they don't understand you. They might mock you. They may not invite you or want you to even be in some of their parties and activities. 
But it's better to choose the path of holiness and the path of righteousness. Let the world be surprised with your behavior and with your conduct and choices. Let them be shocked that you don't dress in the same way, that you don't participate in the same activities like drinking alcohol and dancing in the same ways, that you don't participate in sex before marriage. Satan wants you to compromise in all these areas. But there is a path that we need to be walking. As Psalm 119 introduced to us, the path of purity. How blessed are those whose way is blameless. The path of holiness and the path of transformation will happen in your life when we focus on God's guidance and on God's Word. Psalm 119 is so clear, isn't it? In verse 19 or verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. In verse 11, your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. The Apostle Paul would state it in this way in the book of Romans in the 12th chapter. In Romans chapter 12, And in verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. To not be conformed to this world. Don't be molded. Don't be fashioned. Don't accept the standards that this world and society says is acceptable. What they say is right and good and holy, or they won't say holy. Whatever they say is right and good and acceptable, question it. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed. Go to God's Word and look at what God's Word teaches because you will find that it is something radically different. It's a whole different standard. It's the standard of God Himself to be holy as He is holy. And while we may struggle, and I don't want to sound as if everyone here is going to be perfect in all these areas, we all have our struggles. We need to be seeking God and His guidance and His Word. We cannot be conformed to the actions and the behaviors and the conduct of this wicked generation. The the standards of this world, it's not acceptable for the standard that we appeal to. We must appeal to God's Word. But then secondly, we need to provide good role models for our young people that may be challenged in these areas. We need to provide 
wisdom and guidance and instruction for our children. It begins in the home. The path of holiness is not supposed to be walked alone. Parents, we need to do our jobs. We need to teach our children. We need to come to expect holiness and righteousness in our homes from our wives, from our children, and from ourselves. Fathers in particular need to ensure that those expectations are set. That immodesty is not acceptable from any of your family members. In the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 5, in Ephesians chapter 5 and in verse 23, we learn that Paul says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. That the husband is the head. In verse 22, wives are to be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, you set the standard. Don't be afraid to say, this is what we will do in my family. In chapter 6, in verse 1, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Children, you have an obligation to obey the standards that your parents have set. In verse 4, fathers again get in the, under the microscope. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction in the Lord. Take steps to ensure that your children are in a positive environment where drinking and sexual activity are not going to be involved. I'm always afraid that one of the reasons that these temptations and these actions sort of have a trickle-down effect where things never seem to improve where even some of these activities are normalized. It's because fathers aren't doing their job. We've turned a blind eye to it. Maybe we have too many fathers who are turning to sexual immorality themselves, watching pornography, committing adultery. Maybe fathers are afraid of standing up to their wives. Maybe fathers are blind to what is going on. Whatever the reason, we're not going to see positive change in the lives of our young people until holiness is first modeled in the home. Our children will not be able to do this alone. It has to be modeled and exemplified in the home. Fathers, lead your families. Mothers, Set positive examples in conduct and dress. Children, obey your parents. But then we also need to have the standards of modesty within the church as well. We need to have standards of holiness and purity within the church, don't we? We need to teach. We need to instruct about these things. We need elders and shepherds who are going to expect these lessons to be preached and commend these lessons. We need preachers to preach on these subjects and to not be afraid. And churches need to begin to expect and to demand these topics to be addressed. Because if you don't, then eventually they will be ignored over time. We need the path of transformation, the path of holiness, the way 
of purity and the blueprint for purity to be laid out and to be revealed and to be taught. Christians, we are called to be different. We are called to not be conformed to this world. We are called to be transformed. That is why we must address these issues publicly. We need distinctive preaching where the path of righteousness is proclaimed and defended. We need parents. We need elders. We need deacons. We need preachers. We need Bible class teachers. We need all Christians. We need you all to model righteousness for our young people so that when they are challenged, because they will be challenged, they will be tempted with these very issues. We need to model righteousness so that they know what to expect and so that they can know where they can turn in help for temptation. This morning, are you following the path of righteousness and holiness? If you are not, you can find that path of holiness within God's Word. He has given us His Word to guide us. It is a light for our path in a dark and sinful world. And if we have sinned in any of these areas or any other areas, God is gracious and He's merciful to forgive us if we would but come to Him and repent. We're here to help you. We love you. We want to encourage you to render obedience to the Gospel of Christ or to seek His forgiveness. If we can help you in some way, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?